you would turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, as you read the Gospels, you would see if you read through Matthew and studied through Matthew that a very common theme of Matthew's Gospel is the kingdom of God. He's often referencing the kingdom. As we look through the scriptures as a whole, we see that the kingdom of God is a theme. And now in Luke chapter 17, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 37, and we're going to see that, that topic of the kingdom come up in Luke's gospel. We begin to see Jesus discussing the realities of the kingdom of God. And you see, we need, to, we need to grasp this kingdom and be reminded of the fact this morning that we are not first Americans if we're believers. We are pilgrims on this, on this planet, and we're passing through, and we are part of a greater kingdom than a, a single nation. We're part of a greater kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. It's not a kingdom that will stand and fall like every nation stands and falls throughout history, but it is a kingdom that will last forever. And our first allegiance, our first allegiance isn't to a flag. Our first allegiance is to our Father who is in heaven. And we have to grasp that reality, or we may find ourselves stressed out more than we should be, anxious more than we should be, worried more than we should be, and living like, like people who, who live for the temporal earthly kingdoms rather than one who is living in a heavenly eternal kingdom. So we need to grasp this reality of the kingdom of God. That's what it is about, friend, if you're a believer here this morning, is that kingdom. And now Jesus is, is laying out the realities of the kingdom and he's showing us in Luke 17 that that kingdom is now. We are living in the kingdom. It is right now, but it is also not yet. It's right now and it's still yet to come. It's, it's right here in our midst. And Satan and the world and the flesh are doing everything they can to keep us out of the kingdom. As unbelievers, if you are here this morning and you are not in a personal vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never been born again. You've never been brought from darkness to light. You've never been brought from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of our Father. Then Satan is doing everything he can to keep you out of the kingdom. And if you're part of the kingdom this morning, he's doing everything he can to keep you ineffective. And to just make you benign in that kingdom. And we're going to see... We're going to see Jesus introducing the kingdom to us this morning in Luke 17. And we're going to see how we are often kept from the kingdom or kept from being effective in the kingdom in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse number 20. We'll read through verse 37. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming... He answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. 
Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 31, on that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. What do we learn about this kingdom of God? The first thing we learn is that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. It is fulfilled. In verse 20 and 21, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the disciples themselves who were following Jesus around had this idea that the Messiah, when he came, would come as a great military leader. He would ride in on a white horse. He would raise up an army from among Israel. He would go against the Romans. He would overthrow the Roman Empire. He would set up his throne in the temple and he would reign and Israel would be vindicated. The Jewish people would have peace and they would live happily forever after at the top of the totem pole, so to speak. Even all the way over in Acts 1, after Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, has walked with these disciples for three years, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is giving them the great commission that when, when you receive power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples are saying, is it now that you're going to set up your kingdom? Is it now that you're going to set up your kingdom? They have in their mind this grandiose, earthly, conquering kingdom that Jesus would set up. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't look for something like that. It's already here. It's in your midst. And why was the kingdom in their midst? Because the king was in their midst. And where the king is in their midst, the kingdom is. Right? In Matthew 12 and verse 28, Jesus said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. In Luke 11 and verse 20, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, the kingdom has come. When Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, 
and placed in a manger in Bethlehem when God the Son, the exact image and representation of God the Father, stepped out of heaven and humbled Himself to be born here on this earth. When He stepped foot on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come. And every one of us, listen, we are living in the kingdom. It is fulfilled. Jesus has come. And if we have pledged our lives and our allegiance to Jesus Christ, and we are following Jesus, Christ and he's given us new hope and new life we are part of the kingdom we are in the kingdom now and we are seeing the effects of the kingdom of God in our lives we're seeing the effects of the kingdom of God in our families as we try to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord as we seek to have our marriages reflect the beauty of the gospel we see the kingdom affecting our church as we as we saturate it with the word of God we see the kingdom affecting Our communities in small ways and across the globe. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. It's fulfilled. But there's more. George Ladd said this, fulfillment of the kingdom is here. But consummation of the kingdom is not. Many kingdom blessings can be experienced today. Many are reserved for the consummation and the coming of Jesus. So while the kingdom has come and it is fulfilled, the kingdom is also yet to come. It will be consummated. I mean, it's clear that we aren't living in the final state of the kingdom. There's still wars. And when the Prince of Peace consummates the kingdom, there will be no more wars or rumors of wars. We're living in a time of famine. We're living in a time of pestilence. I haven't noticed any lions lounging around with lambs lately, have you? In fact, creation is groaning. Every time there's a tornado, creation is groaning. Every time there's a tsunami, a hurricane, an earthquake, creation is groaning. Every time we see a loved one die and we have to put their bodies in the ground, creation is groaning. And creation is saying, while the kingdom is here because Christ Jesus rules and reigns, we long and we wait and we groan for the day when the kingdom will be consummated and we'll have peace and we'll be healed and, we'll, and all will be well with the world. Even as individuals, even as individual believers, as we wrestle with sin and as we see the effects of sin on our life and our families and our communities, we groan. Romans 8.23 says not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Every time you get that ache and pain, that's your body groaning for the resurrection. And some of you are going, man, my body groans a lot for the resurrection. Just think of it that way. Your body is groaning and longing for the day when the perishable shall put on the imperishable. And this earthly shall put on the eternal. The kingdom now is limited in its scope and effects. The power of the kingdom gathers many into its net. Now let me just give you an example of the power of the kingdom. Look around this room. The power of the kingdom has filled this room this morning. I know some of you thought it was the good looks of your pastor 
But it's really the power of the kingdom. Now, do you think for a solid second that every person in this room is part of the kingdom? Do you really think every single person in this room right now is part of the kingdom of God? They've been born again. They've been redeemed. They've been forgiven of all of their sin. They've been made a new creation. They're walking with Jesus. They're following Jesus. Do you really believe everybody in this room is part of the kingdom? Absolutely not. But the reason they're here is the power of the kingdom has gathered everybody in this net this morning so that now you're trapped to hear the gospel. And some of you aren't part of the kingdom, but you're in the net. That's, what, that's how we see the kingdom in our midst working. It brings people into this net who aren't yet part of the kingdom to hear the gospel message. But when the kingdom is consummated, this is when Jesus takes the net and he sorts the good fish from the bad fish and it's done. Then everybody in the kingdom is part of the kingdom. Does that make sense? In Matthew 13, we read about that. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom is fulfilled. We are part of the kingdom. We can preach the kingdom and the power of the kingdom fills this room this morning and you hear the gospel message some people are fish in the kingdom some are not but when the kingdom is consummated the sheep will be separated from the goats the good fish will be separated from the bad and there will be no questioning who's part of the kingdom and who is not the kingdom is has come it's fulfilled the kingdom is yet to come it will be consummated but the third thing we see about the kingdom is that the kingdom listen carefully the kingdom is within reach of every person in this room. The kingdom is within your reach. Jesus says in the latter part of verse 21. Behold. That means look. Open your eyes. Open your spiritual ears and look and listen. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Literally. Literally translated. It could say the kingdom of God is within your reach. It's within your reach. So for every one of us in this room, the kingdom of God is within your reach right now. But there are forces at work to keep you either out of the kingdom altogether or ineffective in the kingdom. Now, Satan's goal, his number one goal is to keep you out of the kingdom. But if you cross over into the kingdom, he doesn't leave you alone. He wants to make you ineffective in the kingdom. And, and the forces of darkness, whether it's the world, the flesh, the devil, and all of his schemes, there are three primary tactics that he uses to keep the kingdom of God out of our reach. It's within our reach, but every time we, we think about reaching for it, he eludes us. There's a way that he does that. There's three primary ways that he does that. And I want you to see them this morning because they are extremely, extremely true. You ready? Number one, tactic one. We see it in verses 22 to 25, and it's deception. Deception. Verse 22, he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. The days are going to come when you long to see water turn to wine. Not going to happen. 
There's days you're going to long to see a paralytic loved one stand up and walk. Probably not going to see it. It's going to be days when you long to see the blind given their sight. You're going to long for the days of the Son of Man when, when He walked this earth. And you will not see it. And then what do we do? What do we do? We want to see it so bad. We long for the, for the miracles of Jesus so bad. We long for the days of Jesus so bad. What do we do? We start saying, look there. There's a show. Look here. This guy claims to be powerful. And Jesus says, do not go away. Do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. You won't miss it. You don't have to have somebody say, run over here, run over there, look here, look there. There's a miracle. When Jesus shows up, you won't miss it. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So one way that we miss the kingdom altogether is by being deceived. And it's interesting that Satan could use our desire for the, and our longing to see Jesus do something amazing. It's amazing that Satan could use our desire to see Jesus do something amazing to deceive us into running after false teachers and false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. The kingdom's within reach, but they want something else. We want something more. I want you to hear me very loud and clear, and you've already heard Tom allude to this. The gospel is plan A. And plan B is the gospel. And plan C is the gospel. And all of the above is the gospel. If the gospel is not enough for you, listen, listen very carefully. If the fact that God is majestically and infinitely holy, and you are infinitely sinful, and that Jesus Christ came to take you, the infinitely sinful, and make you holy in the eyes of God so that you can have peace with Him. If that's not enough for you, you are set up right now to be deceived. If the gospel is not sufficient, well, I just wish we had sang something besides the gospel. You're set up for deception. I wish the preacher would preach something besides the gospel every week. You're set up for deception. I think we just need a little something more. You're set up for deception. If you want the gospel, I want to come to Jesus. And I want the gospel, but I also want all of my dreams to come true. And, my, and, and me to be successful. You are set up for self-helps pastors. Who will smile at you real big. And will tell you everything you want to hear. And make you all kinds of promises. And you'll go down that rabbit hole with them and you will miss the kingdom. If you want the gospel, and, and, and I just want Jesus, but I really want to be healthy, and I want to be wealthy, then you are set up to follow those charlatans on TBN who beg you for your money and then spend it on their private jet in their second or third mansion. You're set up for the health, wealth, and prosperity guys. And to run down that rabbit hole to deception. 
If you want the gospel, and, and I just need the gospel and a sign, I just need the gospel and a miracle, then I'll believe you're set up for any manipulative charlatan out there who will pitch a tent and have a healing service. Gospel plus anything is a setup for deceptions. There's a saying that what you win them with, you will keep them with. And if you win them with gospel plus success, or gospel plus healing, or gospel plus wealth, or gospel plus miracles, or gospel plus fun and games, or gospel plus entertainment, or gospel plus smoke and lights, then you have to keep increasing the healing, the health, the wealth, the miracles, the smoke, the lights, the fun, the games, the entertainment, in order to keep them. But if you win them with the gospel... You know what you have to preach every week? You know what you have to sing every week? You know, you know what you have to live every week? The gospel. If you need gospel plus anything, you are set up for deceptions. And you need to understand that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 to 25 says, If anyone says to you, Behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise, and they will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Even those who are in the kingdom. Behold, I've told you in advance. In other words, it's on you. I told you so. Don't be deceived because you want a sign or something more than what has already been given. In Luke chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, it says, As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. Why? It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of who? Jonah. And what's the sign of Jonah? For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man of this generation. What happened to Jonah? He was swallowed by a whale, and he stayed in the belly of that whale. And then he was upchucked on the bank. And what Jesus is saying is, I'll be crucified and I'll be buried away, not in the belly of a well, but in the belly of a tomb. And God the Father will bring me out just like he brought Jonah out of that well. Resurrected. That's the sign. You want the sign? Do you want a sign? Get on a plane. Fly to Jerusalem. Go look in the tomb. And see that Jesus is not there. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. And if you need more, what more? What more? What more can God do for you? What more can God do for you than He's already done? He did not count equality with the Father a thing to be held on to and grasped, but He humbled Himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient to death, even death on a cross, and was buried and is resurrected. And God has placed upon Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess it. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is nothing more you need this morning than the gospel. Don't be deceived. By thinking you need a little something more. It's just setting you up to miss the kingdom or to become ineffective in it by running down the rabbit hole. Make sense? Okay, number two. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to just try to read my notes. Lord, help me just to read my notes. Because when I get away from my notes, it's when I get emails. So just, 
I'm just going to read my notes. Verse 26, distractions. Verse 26, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating. Anything wrong with eating? They were drinking. Anything wrong with drinking? Guess it depends on how you word that, but how much? I don't know. They were marrying. Anything wrong with getting married? They were being given in marriage. None of these things are wrong. We all eat. We all drink. Most of us get married. Most of us give our kids in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It's an abrupt ending. Verse 28, Jesus says it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now notice, these people are just living their lives. Business as usual. Noah's over here preaching. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And they're like, we'll hear you later, Noah. Right now, we got a wedding to plan. We'll hear you later, Noah. I'm hungry. We'll hear you later, angels and Lot we got to buy this. We've got to sell this. We've got to plant our gardens. We've got to prepare for the future. They were just distracted with worldly, earthly endeavors. And I wonder if this is not Satan's greatest tactic because some of you can't sit through a service without scrolling Instagram or Facebook. And if you can't say amen, you all say, oh, me. And you think that's not a tactic of the devil? We are so distracted. We are so distracted. I think it was John Piper that said one of the greatest uses for social media in our day will be so that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we cannot say we did not have time to pray. Fifty-six, these are statistics that I didn't come up with, but are due to research. You're not going to believe them, but I bet you a dollar to a dime if we tracked you 24-7, a lot of you would find out they're truer than what we even see here. Fifty-six percent of teens, 13 to 7 years old, 13 to 17 years old, play video games two and a half hours every day. 66% of children, 8 to 12, play video games two hours a day. Do you know that there's an epidemic of guys who just sit in front of video games all the time? I mean, if we have to fight another war, unless we just do a thumb war, we're in trouble. (laughs) Adults. Adults watch four hours of TV every night. Four hours of TV every night, and this one is unbelievable. And believable all at the same time. And spend 
seven and a half hours a day on digital media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, etc. Say it ain't so. And you, some of you got jobs. We have so much of an overwhelming amount of information. Listen, if I, want to, if I want to decide that masks are the safest thing for society, I can find you 10 resources on Google that show that masks are the safest thing for society. If I want to, find, if I want to prove that masks are the most unsafe thing for anybody on earth, I can find you 10 resources on Google that will show you that. If I want to find anything, I can find that the earth is flat on Google and tons of resources. We have a glut of information and no brain cells left to process it because all of our RAM is full of information. It's just one thing after another. We get fed, we get fed, we get fed. One news bite after another news bite, article after article, opinion after opinion, blog after blog, theological viewpoint after theological viewpoint, and we don't have the memory space to deal with it. So we just have a bunch of information. Distracted, distracted, distracted. The devil knows that nobody slips up. How many of you have ever slipped up? Well, besides with your tongue. We slip down, don't we? No one's going to slip and slide into holiness. You can hang that one up. If you came here because you want me to shake some Holy Ghost fairy dust on you and fix you this morning and just put you into holiness, that's impossible. You don't slide and slip into holiness. You don't get a one-time fix into holiness. No, you strive for holiness. And we will not strive as long as we're distracted with what the world says are better things. How many of you know that distractions are keeping folks out of the kingdom? I went into a guy's house and I asked him, And his answer floored me. Never gotten this one before. Said, do you ever wonder what would happen to you if you were to die right now? And he turned away from the TV and said, no, I I don't guess I have. I said, wait a minute, you, you do realize you could die today, right? And he could. Pretty sure he was heavy drug user. So he could have OD'd that evening. I said, you do realize you could die today? And he said, well, I don't reckon I've ever given it that much thought. And it hit me that we are so mesmerized with screens and with other things that we don't even think about the reality that right now we could be standing in the presence of Almighty God. Deceptions, distractions, and the third one, desires. Our desires. Look in verses 31 to 33. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. And here's what Jesus is saying 
Some are going to miss the kingdom because they want to run back inside and grab that thing that's precious to them. Some of them are going to miss the kingdom because they want to hold on to this life and their life and their comfort and their pleasure. Matthew 24, 17, 18, whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in the house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Where are your desires? Where are your desires? Your desires, your misplaced desires can keep you out of the kingdom. I want popularity. I want prosperity. I want possessions. I want to be somebody. I want power. I want prestige. I want to be known. I want to be famous. I, I want, I want, I want. And you, and you misplace those desires and you miss the kingdom. Where are your desires? Colossians 3 tells us if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Matthew 6, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We see the warning in verses 34 to 37. I tell you, on that night, when the kingdom is consummated, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? He ain't talking about the rapture. He's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about to judgment. He said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Remember back in Matthew, that parable of the net, it gets cast out, and at the end of the age, what happens? The angels pick out the bad fish and take them to judgment. There's coming a day when the kingdom of God will be consummated. And Christ will come to judge and He will pluck out those who are not part of the kingdom and send them to everlasting judgment. And some of you may experience that judgment because you have been deceived, distracted, or you have misplaced your desires. God, help us. Let me me just give you some quick things in conclusion. Number one, some advice on avoiding deception. This is not anything novel. But, I, but you really need to pay attention to this if you want to avoid deception. The Bible calls the church the pillar, the pillar, like that pillar holding up that wall there, and the buttress or the fortress of the truth. Okay? So the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. It's the job of the church. So be very selective. And where you go to church. If you go into church, if you're visiting here this morning, and you go into a church and you visit it, and you do not hear the gospel message, and Jesus Christ is not exalted above everything else, please leave. And especially if they're not using the Bible beyond a getting off point. Read a little scripture and then get off and tell everything I wanted to tell anyway. If the Bible's not the ground and the truth, run, be selective. And where you go to church, be selective in who you listen to. 
outside of your local church. We have seen so many superstar preachers fall into false teaching or into disgrace that affects so many and shakes the faith of so many. We all get on a tangent to follow this guy who dresses sharp and looks sharp and has got some cool illustrations on stage. And the next thing you know, he's leading you down the rabbit hole. And he's not teaching truth and you believe it because it, it just seems good. Or you, you put all of your eggs in this guy's basket and he crashes and burns morally. And it causes you to lose faith in Christ who is perfect. You see the danger? I've, there's been a little joke, even though I don't laugh when I say it because it's not really a joke. But I'm to the point where I don't trust any preacher that wears cufflinks or that's cool. Those are my two, two criteria. Why would you wear cufflinks? You want to show off? And why would you want to be cool? If you're cool to wear cufflinks, I'm just going to turn you off and move on to the next guy. That's not a biblical, by the way. It's just my opinion. The point is, here's the point. As, as low-key as it is, and even though your pastor's not signing books at conferences, be faithful to your local church. The pillar and support of the truth. Be faithful to listen to the guy that you see week after week and that has accountability around him in the form of other pastors and leaders. That's the safest place. Don't go down the rabbit hole of sermons online or television preachers. Be faithful first and foremost to the local church and your local pastors. They're the ones you can measure and see and observe. We could go on and on about how to avoid deception. Turn off the television. Don't watch any more TV preaching. We could go on and on. But that, that's just the, 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 it in a nutshell. The local church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Be faithful there. Be plugged in there. How are you going to avoid distractions? You're going to love this one. There was a business, guy who was going into business. He went to a very successful businessman. And he said, I want you to give me the best word of advice you can give me as a new businessman. And he said, I will, I will write you a check for whatever you charge me for that advice. The older businessman said, I'll tell you what, I'll write down my advice for you, I'll give it to you, and then you just pay me whatever you think it's worth. He wrote down on a piece of paper, make a list. Check off number one before moving to number two. Check off number two before moving to number three. Check off number three before moving to number four, and so on. The young businessman took that older businessman's advice. He applied it. Six months later, the older businessman opened up an envelope. It was a check for $100,000. $100,000 worth of advice. Make a list. Prioritize your list. Finish something before you move on to something else. Prioritize your day. And don't let anything get in the way of it. Your staff is supposed to have to ride them like thoroughbreds at the Kentucky Derby 
that your pastors are supposed to every morning start the day from 8 to 10 in quiet, reading the Word, praying. And sometimes that doesn't happen perfectly. We know that we live in an imperfect world. But that's the goal. That's the standard. Prioritize your day with what's important and get those things done. Turn off your phone or put it away. Did you know, let me just give you a new slide. Did you know that you don't have to respond to a text message immediately? I know we live in a time, I mean, there was a day when somebody was dying and they would send word on horseback to the neighboring community, to the pastor over there who's doing a circuit ride and it would take him a few days and he would show up, you know, and he would pray with the person who may have already passed away and do the funeral. Then we move to the day where you pick up the phone, you know, hooked to the wall, and you call, and you expect an answer or a call back. Now we get text, and if you, don't, if you don't respond in like 20 seconds, somebody's calling 911. You don't have to respond. Put the phone over here, plug it in. At lunch, you can pick it up, and you can respond to every text message in 10 minutes and put it down. And pick it up when you're ready to go home from work. And answer every text message in 10 minutes. Instead of, oh, let, me, let me reword that. How's that going to read? How do you think that's going to... Because some people, they can't give you the last word. You know, so it's going to constantly buzz. Delete social media off your phones. Now, some of you are going, well, that's impossible. Now, let's just stop. Some of you are saying, no way, that's impossible. Stop and think. You just said, I cannot live without being able to open up my phone and scroll through people I don't know's pictures of lunch. And you laugh, but you know it's true. Let me, let me rephrase that. I can't live without opening up my phone and scrolling through people I don't know and most of whom don't care what I think about their lunch, pictures of their lunch. You can't live without that. You can't. You know why? Because it gives you a dopamine hit just like crack cocaine. And you are addicted. That's why. That's why you see that constantly. I just need a little dopamine hit. Just give me a little shot. And let me look. And some of you are going to miss the kingdom because of it. Are you going to be very ineffective in the kingdom? And we won't even talk about what some of you post. Are you going to avoid misplaced desires? I'm almost done. Here's some advice. Meditate on Jesus Christ. Discipline yourself to know Jesus. To experience Jesus. And when you know Jesus and experience Jesus, the things of this world won't hold a candle to Christ. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about the most enjoyable thing you can think of right now. Jesus is better than that. And if your Jesus is not better than that, you haven't met the right Jesus. You haven't experienced the right Jesus. And Jesus is fullness of joy. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We need to see that Christ is 
better. No, no, no. Christ isn't better. Christ is best. Meditate on Jesus. Satan is trying to keep you from the kingdom. Satan is trying to keep you ineffective in the kingdom. And he's going to deceive you. He's going to distract you. And he's going to cause you to misplace your desires in, in order to do that. Now, you know it. You understand it. It's clear as a bell in Scripture. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to hone in your eyes on the Scriptures and, and faithfulness to your local church? Are you going to turn away from the distractions? Are you going to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face? Because when you do, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Put away the deception from your mind right now. Whatever you've heard, from cool pastor, cufflinks pastor, or anything in between. Just, just put it away. Set aside your distractions. Whatever you think you need for lunch or whatever you're going to post on Instagram in a minute. Just put it away. Cast your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Jesus Christ. The one who knew no sin. literally became sin on that cross so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? Just cast your eyes on that. The perfect Son of God. The perfect Lamb of God. Sinless, spotless, perfect, holy, righteous, in every way, infinitely glorious, became the most hideous thing in the eyes of God. He became sin. And God the Father judged our sin in Jesus on the cross until our sin debt, your sin debt, was paid in full. And He rose from the grave on Sunday. Victorious. Bodily. So that you, right now, if you would repent of your sin, and if you would turn away from your old affections, and your old attitudes, and your old actions, and your own self-righteousness, if you would turn away from all that, and run to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be made holy and perfectly righteous in His eyes. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done, you can be made right with God this morning. You can be made holy this morning. Satan wants to keep you from that more than anything on this planet. So I want to ask you to turn your back on him and all of his tactics. Turn away from your sin. Put your trust in Christ. Call upon his name right now. And plead with him to give you new life and salvation. And you do it until he gives you assurance that you're his child. You won't regret it. Step into the kingdom. It's fulfilled. And it's coming. It's within your reach. Would you just take Christ's hand? Let's bow.
Father God, I thank you for your gospel message. I thank you for the hope that we have that we can step into your kingdom, even right now. Lord, you may be speaking to someone right now. You may be drawing someone right now to see their sinfulness, to see their hopelessness, to see their helplessness, to see how they've been distracted and they've been deceived and they've been so consumed with the things of this world that they can't see you. God, I pray that you would grant them repentance even now, that you would grant them faith even now, that you would grant them the courage to call upon your name and that you would save, save, save. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage. Give them the courage. Give them the strength. Give them the conviction to die to themselves enough that they would be willing to tell someone that they've turned to you today. We'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name.